from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. If you've been following our podcast, you know that we usually follow the traditional Jewish Bible reading schedule, the Parsha, and explore the weekly Torah portion on this podcast. But today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Today is Tisha B'Av, the darkest day on the Jewish calendar, and I want to share the meaning and significance, the relevance of this day with you. As Christians, I believe that this is an important day for you too. Today is a day of mourning that has been observed for 2,000 years. But as we will learn on today's episode, this dark day is also a day of light, a day of tremendous hope. On this episode, we'll explore the role of hope in our faith and how we can hold on to hope even in our most difficult times. If you have ever felt like giving up, this episode is dedicated to you. Before we get into the Bible verses that we will focus on today, I want to tell you what this day of mourning is all about and how the Jewish people observe this solemn day. This day is known by its Hebrew date, Tisha B'Av. Tisha means ninth, and B'Av means the month of Av, which is a Hebrew month that we are in right now. This date marks not just one tragedy in Jewish history, but many that have happened on this exact date over the centuries. The two greatest tragedies that happened on this date are, of course, the destruction of both the first holy temple and the second holy temple that once stood in Jerusalem. Isn't that surprising? And you can tell it's not by chance. Both of these temples were destroyed on the same Hebrew date, the ninth of Av. The loss of the temples is the main focus of the day. It's not the buildings that we mourn, of course, but the loss of God's home and his dwelling among us. The destruction of the temples also marked the defeat of the Jewish people and the beginning of our exile from our homeland, from Israel. All other tragedies that unfolded on this day are an outgrowth of the loss of God's presence among us in the way that he was when the temples stood. Other significant events that happened on the 9th of Av include the expulsion of Jews from England in 1290, the expulsion of Jews from Spain in 1492, and by the way, Columbus set sail the day after Tisha B'Av, and on this day, Tisha B'Av, the start of World War I, which directly led to World War II and the Holocaust. These are really just a few of the tragic events that happened on Tisha B'Av over the centuries. But on Tisha B'Av, we also grieve for all of the terrible things that have happened to the Jewish people. Anyone who has studied Jewish history knows that the last 2,000 years have been filled with persecution, pain, and suffering, and it can all be traced to the destruction of God's temple in Jerusalem on the 9th of Av. 
and as a result, the loss of Jewish sovereignty in the Holy Land. Jews have marked this day for thousands of years by fasting, mourning, and gathering in synagogues to read the Book of Lamentations, the book written by the prophet Jeremiah describing the destruction of Jerusalem. It's a sad and a serious day that I continue to mark with my own family. Every year, just before the sun sets on the 8th of Av, our family sits down to a meal. Unlike holiday meals, instead of dessert, we end with traditional morning food. A piece of bread with an egg dipped in ashes. This is the last thing that we eat before the 25-hour full fast begins. Except, of course, the younger children who are not allowed to fast or people who are sick and aren't able to fast. Once the sun sets, Tisha B'Av begins. My husband and I bring our children to the synagogue where we can mourn as a community. We leave our jewelry and leather shoes behind and we wear simple clothing and shoes. At the synagogue, we enter quietly. We don't greet our friends even if we haven't seen them for a long time. We sit on the floor in darkness and we use a flashlight to follow along as the Book of Lamentations is recited out loud in a traditional sad tune. The Book of Lamentations begins. How deserted lies the city, one so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. We read this in a repetitive, sad tune that really brings it to heart. The verses continue with descriptions of the terrible afflictions and suffering of the people of Jerusalem. And verse 16 describes mourning for Jerusalem. We read, This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. Al eleani bochia. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Just as the verse describes, we still weep for Jerusalem. I have vivid memories from my childhood of hearing the chilling cries of Holocaust survivors that were part of our synagogue in Chicago on the night of Tisha B'Av. They could weep for Jerusalem in a way that no one else could. They tasted the bitter affliction from our enemies. They understood the tragedy of not having a Jewish homeland. But all Jews cry for Jerusalem on this day, each in our own way. And as the verse says, even after all these years, no one can comfort us or put our spirit to rest. I have been mourning on Tisha B'Av every year of my life, but I imagine that to a lot of people, this practice might seem odd and even outdated. For one thing, praise God, the city of Jerusalem no longer sits alone. Have you been to Jerusalem lately? In our times, we have been blessed to see amazing miracles and the Jewish people have returned to their homeland. And when there isn't a pandemic in the way, The streets of Jerusalem are filled with people from all over the world who love God and the people of Israel. So why are we still mourning today? And why are we even mourning something that happened 2,000 years ago in the first place? As the saying goes, there's no point in crying over spilled milk. So why have the Jews spent two millennium 
crying and mourning over something that can't be changed instead of just moving on? What is there to gain by languishing in our misery? The answer to the first question of why we mourn today when the Jews have already returned to Jerusalem is that while we are grateful to be back in Jerusalem, we are mindful that things are far from perfect. Jews still face plenty of trouble from our enemies, and above all, God's temple is still in ruins. To answer the second question of why Jews still mourn instead of moving on so many years later, I want to tell you a story about the famous French leader, Napoleon, who asked a similar question hundreds of years ago. One time, Napoleon was traveling through a Jewish town in Europe and decided to enter a synagogue. What he saw inside shocked him. The room was almost completely dark with just a few candles providing light, and the atmosphere was somber and gloomy. He saw men, women, and children all sitting on the floor crying and reading from ancient texts. Napoleon turned to a Jewish officer who was with him and asked, What great misfortune occurred? He assumed that something terrible had just happened to the Jews. The Jewish officer knew that it happened to be Tisha B'Av that day. So he said to Napoleon, It is the ninth of Av on the Hebrew calendar. On this day, every year, Jews around the world gather to mourn the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Napoleon was intrigued by what was clearly a terrible tragedy for the Jewish people. He asked the officer, when did that happen? The officer replied, 2,000 years ago. Napoleon was completely shocked. He declared, Any people that still cry for their land and their temple after 2,000 years will surely merit seeing both return to them. As Napoleon understood, Jews cry over what happened in the past because we refuse to give up hope for the future. No matter how many centuries have passed since the temple was destroyed, the Jews refuse to be comforted. We refuse to accept the situation as it was and move on. We refuse to give up on Jerusalem. In Psalm 137, we swore to never forget Jerusalem. We said, If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, we swore never to forget. And you know what? We never did. Even in our most joyful moments, we remember Jerusalem and refuse to be comforted. The Bible tells us of someone else who refused to be comforted. The patriarch Jacob. In Genesis 37, Jacob's sons came to tell him that his beloved son Joseph was killed by a wild animal. They even showed him Joseph's coat of many colors, dripping in blood as proof. But verse 35 tells us that Jacob refused to be comforted. Why? Well, the rabbis explain that a person can only be comforted for someone who has died. 
the finality of death allows a person to accept it and move on. But Jacob sensed that Joseph might still be alive. And as long as he had even an inkling of hope that Joseph was alive, he couldn't be comforted. He couldn't accept that Joseph was gone forever, nor was he able to make peace with it. The rabbis explained that to refuse to be comforted is to refuse to give up hope. And this is why the Jewish people refused to be comforted and still mourn the temple on Tisha B'Av. It's because we haven't given up hope that the temple will be rebuilt just as God promised. And by not giving up hope, we affirm our belief that God will fulfill all of his promises in the Bible, those that we have been blessed to see already, like the return of the Jewish people to Israel, and those we haven't seen yet, like God's return to Jerusalem. So while today, the day of Tisha B'Av, is a day of deep darkness, it's also day of enormous light. It's a day of hope, a day on which we hold on to hope, no matter how things may seem. This idea can be found in Lamentations, along with the heartbreaking descriptions of suffering. In the middle of the dark verses of doom and gloom, we find a message of hope. Listen to these words from Lamentations 3, 19 to 23. I remember my affliction and my wandering. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. No matter how hopeless things may seem, what this verse is showing us is there is always room for hope because our God is a God of love, of mercy. Our God is a God of compassion. There is a saying in Judaism attributed to King David, which goes like this. Even if a sharp sword is resting on your neck, don't give up on mercy. We can always hope for salvation because God is ever merciful. The idea of holding on to hope no matter what is something that is seared deep into my soul. Growing up, my grandfather, who was a Holocaust survivor, told me stories about hope and miracles, and he taught me about never giving up, even when everything seems lost. I want to share one of these stories with you. My grandfather grew up in Germany, and when it became clear that the Nazis intended to exterminate the Jews, his family decided to leave everything behind and flee from the impending danger. The family was lucky enough to own a car, which they used to drive as far as they could to cross the border. But at some point, Along the way, the car ran out of gas, and the family was stranded. My great-grandmother stayed with my grandfather and his brother 
while their father went to look for gas. Now, while their father was away, my great-grandmother and the boy started to hear the Nazis approaching from the direction that my great-grandfather had gone in. They were in a terrible position. They didn't want to leave without my great-grandfather, but if they waited until the Nazis got to them, they would certainly be killed. They waited as long as they could for my great-grandfather, hoping that he escaped the Nazis. But when the bullets got close to them, they ran. They left behind their car and whatever little belongings they still had. And they went. They went on foot, just praying for a miracle. It was terrifying. When things eventually quieted down, they were grateful to be alive, but they also knew that it was unlikely that my great-grandfather survived the incident. Meanwhile, my great-grandfather had been on his way to get gas for the car when someone told him that the Nazis were headed in that direction, the direction of his family. He immediately gave up on getting fuel and ran to find his family and bring them to a safe place. But by the time he got back to the car, all he saw were shards of glass, bullets, and no sign of his family. Can you imagine what that must have been like for him? From the way things looked, he understood that his family had probably been murdered. It must have been just horrifying. But my great-grandfather didn't give up hope that maybe, just maybe, his family survived. And while my great-grandmother tried to move on without her husband, a part of her refused to give up hope that maybe, just maybe, he was alive. Each one held on to the tiniest bit of hope that the other had survived. That hope kept them going and gave them strength to overcome the other difficulties that they were faced with along the way. That didn't stop. They kept going and they kept hoping, and as you might have guessed, eventually they found each other. These were my bedtime stories growing up, with my grandfather telling me about hiding in basements with no light, no food, not knowing what was going on above the ground, sometimes for weeks on end. Against the dark backdrop of the Holocaust, what he taught me was to see the glimmer of light, no matter how faint, in every situation. I learned that there is always a reason to hold on to hope. If they didn't hold on to hope, me and my children wouldn't be here today. But that's not all I learned. I also learned that if we hold on to hope, it will carry us through the dark times. Hope gives us strength to keep going when we might otherwise give up. Hope soothes a hurting heart and brings peace to a turbulent soul. Hope reminds us what we are fighting for and gently pushes us to keep trying, to keep praying, and to keep believing in what we are hoping for. Hope is what kept my family going throughout the dark years of the Holocaust, and hope is what has kept the Jewish people going for 2,000 years of bitter exile. The Jewish people has suffered more than any other people over such a long period of time. But we are also the people who have learned to hope in spite of it all. It's no wonder the national anthem of Israel is called Hatikva, which means, you might have guessed it, the hope. The words of Hatikva come from a poem written by a Jewish poet, Naftali Hertz Imber, 
1878, long before the modern state of Israel was born. Here are the words. As long as deep within the heart a Jewish soul still yearns, and forward to the ends of the east an eye looks out toward Zion, our hope is not yet lost. The hope of 2,000 years to be a free people in our land, the land of Zion and Jerusalem. How beautiful are these words. As long as the Jewish people longed for and hoped to return to their homeland, there was hope that eventually we would. As long as the 2,000-year-old hope stayed alive, the dream of being a free people in the land of Zion could eventually materialize, and it has. Just as we say in our anthem, Liot am chofshi be'artzenu, to be a free people in the land of Zion and Jerusalem. Hope is what carried the Jewish people back to Jerusalem, and hope is what will carry all of us all the way to the Messianic era. Friends, above all, we can never lose hope for the future. We can never settle for a less than perfect world or forget the dreams that God has placed in our hearts. Listen to these words from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of England, who passed away earlier this year. He said, To be a Jew is to be an agent of hope in a world serially threatened by despair. Judaism is a sustained struggle against the world that is, in the name of the world that could be, should be, but is not yet. And I would add that to be a Christian is to be an agent of hope as well. In the Christian Bible, in Hebrews 10.23, we read, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. If we trust in God, how could we ever give up hope? Our job is to be an agent of hope, to spread hope to others, and to live in hope ourselves. What are you hoping for today? Are there any dreams that you have given up on? Are there things you have stopped praying for? Whatever your dreams are, don't ever give up hope for them. Refuse to be comforted. Refuse to give up on them. And if you ever need encouragement to hope, consider that just when all hope seemed lost, after the Holocaust decimated one-third of the Jewish people, God brought the Jews back to their homeland. No other nation in the world has been exiled from their homeland and returned to it, but the Jewish people did it twice. If God can bring his people back to Israel after 2,000 years of wandering, if he can make the desert land of Israel blossom and bloom, and if he can restore the broken and abandoned city of Jerusalem, then ask yourself, what is possible for you? In Lamentations 3.25, we read, 
The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. This week, be an agent of hope. Take some time to think about what you hope to see in your life and in the world. Really paint a picture in your mind of what you are looking for. Then hope for it, pray for it, work for it, and trust in God's promises and inspire others to do the same. Be an agent of hope. If you hold on to hope in spite of everything, Hope will hold you and carry you through anything. Shavua Tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.